myself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn your love back And it's all in the past I'm dwelling on the thoughts I cannot say to you If I don't say the words then maybe it's not true Good morning, welcome along to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith, delighted to see you, joined by Ben Jacobs again. How are you, Ben? Good morning, I'm good. Well, at the time of recording, I'm panicked about the weekends. Newcastle fans can relax now, but trust me, Leicester fans certainly can't. Yes, pre-recorded show this morning. Um, so, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll be looking ahead, of course, to the Chelsea game. But uh, let's go back to St James's Park on Monday. Newcastle United took on Leicester uh, at St James's Park, Newcastle. Uh, just needing a point for qualification for the Champions League, which the duty got. Happy with a point, Ben? Not happy with a point because it takes Leicester's fate out of their own hands, but the point might be crucial. It's one of those where, in hindsight, I'll be delighted with it if Leicester stay up. And what it does is means that if Leicester beat West Ham, then Everton have to beat Bournemouth. Had Leicester lost to Newcastle, then Everton could have got away with a draw against Bournemouth if Leicester beat West Ham. So it changes the permutation slightly, but for a club like Leicester and with the quality that they have to be heading into the final game of the season with fate out of their hands is extremely poor and worrying. Um, If everything goes according to plan, then it should be Everton that stay up. But luckily, Final days are unpredictable and the 90 minutes isn't really its own entity as much as in other games. And the reason for that is because you do just look at other results. Every manager will say they're focused on their own task. But if Leicester score early, then it impacts the way potentially that Everton have to approach their game at Bournemouth. And of course, Leeds are in the mix as well, although they need both Leicester and also Everton's results to go their way. So it's going to be an exciting finale if you're a neutral. But I think from Leicester's point of view, they would earlier in the season have been ecstatic with a point and a clean sheet at Newcastle. But at this stage of the season, it was a game that they desperately, desperately needed to win because of course you want to go into the final game of the season with fate in your own hands. Yeah, you, you do, certainly. I mean, it was a, a game uh, which Newcastle, I felt, you know, on, certainly on chances alone, uh, should really have, have taken maximum points. But there was a wonderful opportunity for Leicester right at the end. And Nick Pope, uh, I said I said at the start of the week, it's a sign of a good keeper when you're standing around for 89 minutes doing nothing and then mm. bang in the 90th minute, you know, a chance which could have won the game for Leicester. Yeah, he's been absolutely superb, hasn't he, all season? And even though when we look at Newcastle and why they've qualified for the UCL, you can put it down to how, you can put it down to Miguel Almiron's early goals, you can put it down to Alexander Isaac's later goals within the season, you can talk about Bruno or Joe Linton and how excellent Sven Botman has been as a signing. But Nick Pope, clean sheet, so important, especially in the first half of the season where Newcastle were just ultimately shutting teams out for fun. And all of those points because of Nick Pope and the clean sheet. So, of course, the wider defence deserve credit as well, are probably what's made the difference, especially because Liverpool have come strong towards the end of the season. And that's why that late save from Timothy Castagne was, again, important. Because if Newcastle batter Leicester, 
And let's be honest, that's exactly what they did all game. And they hit the woodwork numerous times. Leicester were negative. They didn't create any chances. Intentionally, they came there to park the bus and hope that they stole a goal late on. And that's almost what happened. And if Newcastle concede that goal to Timothy Castagne, there's an entirely different complexion on the final game of the season. Because even though goal difference is on Newcastle's side comparative to Liverpool, you just never know. You wouldn't want to be going away at Chelsea with a six-goal advantage, I think it would have been, with a 1-0 defeat to Leicester. Then find that Chelsea are looking to impress Mauricio Pochettino. They finally are able to put some goals away. They win the game 2-0. And then you start looking at Liverpool and saying, they're playing relegated Southampton and could run riot. And it could be one of those games like Liverpool have had against Manchester United or when Scott Parker was still in charge in the Premier League. And in both of those games, Liverpool started scoring for fun. So you wouldn't want to go to Stamford Bridge needing something under those circumstances. And it would have been quite deflating to Newcastle to have to put that UCL party on ice and then go to Stamford Bridge and hope that Liverpool don't run riot and know that they can't afford to lose the game. So it's ifs and buts, and it's all absolutely irrelevant now. But what I would say about Pope is the save for me just looks better and better and better every time you see it. And the slow motion is almost deceptive because when you look at the replays, you're more inclined to say it was at a good height for him and it wasn't entirely in, as Castagne looks at it, the left-hand corner of the goal, Pope's right. But it is only six, eight yards out. He hits it cleanly. And as a consequence, Pope has to react very fast and show strong wrists. And there's a number of goalkeepers, I think, in the Premier League that wouldn't have got down quick enough or wouldn't have reacted quick enough. And it all happened very fast. And that kind of instinctive reaction and original positioning to be alert to the fact that something might come in and fly towards that part of the goal shows you why Pope is a top, top goalkeeper. And when you look at that in full speed, it's a brilliant, brilliant save. And from Leicester's point of view, it ultimately might be the difference between them going down and staying up. But from Newcastle's point of view, it avoids that nervy final day where they would have had to go to Stamford Bridge and get a result potentially. Yeah, uh, and fair play to uh, Nick Pope as well. Uh, Eddie Howe uh, at the press conference yesterday confirmed that you know he, he had had an operation on his hand and he's played through dislocation not once, not twice, not three times, but four times this season. Uh, hasn't moaned about it, hasn't groaned about it, just got on with it. So, you know, won't play uh, any part in the game tomorrow or today mm. as this programme goes out uh, on Sunday. But, um, but yeah, he played through the pain barrier, which again is, is credit to him. It is. Um, players want to play. And I think goalkeepers more than most, because first of all, they perhaps can play through a pain barrier a bit different to an outfield player because they're not moving in the same way. Obviously, that's the sort of irony that a goalkeeper with anything around the eyes or a goalkeeper with anything on their hands is out full stop. And from a player's point of view, if they have something around the eyes, they can wear a mask and it's perhaps a bit more comfortable and easy comparative to goalkeepers. You don't see too many goalkeepers with a face mask playing. It's a bit different, obviously, if you've got the head mask like Petr Cech most famously used to. And then same with an outfield player. If they break their thumb 
off they go, continue playing. A goalkeeper can't do that. But the advantage of a goalkeeper is if they do have a little bit of pain in certain areas, they are able to keep going. But the other thing is just, even at this late stage of the season, keepers want to play because they're always worried that somebody else will come in. And I look at Brighton, for example, and Steele and Sanchez, and even though Sanchez clearly has had some problems with Roberto De Zerbi, everyone was talking about Sanchez as the number one, the top goalkeeper, possibly going to an even bigger club. And then in the back half of this season, he hasn't even been able to get into the Brighton starting eleven. So goalkeepers are very unfortunate in that sense. As soon as you get a knock, someone else gets an opportunity. And with that opportunity, they can keep you out of the side. I suppose we've seen it a little bit at Chelsea even though different managers have had different opinions. But Mendy was supposedly the number one. Kepa took a back seat. Kepa's back at the number one. Mendy takes a back seat. Pochettino's going to come in. He's going to look potentially for a new number one goalkeeper. What do those two do? They might both want to leave. So I think that it's just the mindset. And Pope knows he's the number one now. So if he wants a game off, he can have a game off. And if he's injured, he's going to walk straight back into that side. But I always look back to a story that Dean Henderson told, now obviously on loan for Nottingham Forest, at least for now. And he believed he was promised the number one ahead of David De Gea at Manchester United and then suddenly got injured. And when he came back, he was no longer factored in as the number one and he felt let down. And this is just the challenge with any goalkeeper. You have to shoulder the pressure of knowing that people won't rotate so you're either playing or predominantly you're benched. And even with the five subs, we don't see too much rotation to give second or third choice goalkeepers minutes. So I think it's just within that mentality. Pope wants to be a part of it. He wants to play. He wants to help the team. He wants to keep clean sheets. And like any goalkeeper, he has that ability, I think, to influence and lead from the back and this is what we see amongst top Premier League goalkeepers. And I think it's a very underrated skill because the goalkeeper's watching a lot more. The goalkeeper's got a different perspective. And the goalkeeper, perhaps unlike the manager on the touchline, has the ability to be heard by the back four. And in the same way that they marshal a wall and everybody always notices that throughout the game, there's a lot of subtle things that they do to kind of keep that back line in order. And a good top goalkeeper is very alert to that and encouraged to kind of marshal and conduct. And Pope is one of the better goalkeepers at that. Kasper Schmeichel, when he was at my club, Leicester, was excellent too. And that's why when sometimes you get a new goalkeeper come in or a number two, they're a little bit more shy with their leadership skills and their organisation. And you, you might not clock it in real time, but the amount of times I look back at a game and I think, why did the goalkeeper not prevent something small that became something big just by a little bit of communication here or there that would have resulted in his fullback being a little bit higher or cutting and covering inside because the centre-back was out of position because maybe they'd gone into central midfield or something. And this is what Pope does. He's very alert. Jordan Pickford, I think, is perhaps the best in the Premier League, constantly being vocal and speaking throughout the 90 minutes. And Pope's excellent at that. So he just wants to be a part of it. He wants to be a leader. He obviously wants to keep clean sheets like any goalkeeper. And fair play to him because he's been one of Newcastle's best players all season. And if you remember, when we first did the show at the beginning of the season, when Pope had come in, we'd said, is he going to be the number one? And there was still that debate. I think Howe always knew he was going to start and he was signed to be a number one. But I think there was still that fan debate to be had. There was fan debate over the goalkeeper. There was fan debate over the two starting centre-backs. 
and how stuck to a relatively consistent starting 11. And that's credit because it shows you that the people that Newcastle have brought in with Howe and with Dan Ashworth and the general hierarchy, they knew. So despite the fact that on paper it wasn't as clear, they knew that they were bringing in proven starters that would up the quality in the team and ultimately get them from a side that was staving off relegation one season to now qualifying for the Champions League. And that's good management. It's good recruitment. And when a player feels like they're integral and an automatic starter, it breeds confidence and momentum. And I think that's been so key to Newcastle's season. Eddie Howe was asked about the the transfer window. And I mean, you and I, I'm sure throughout the summer, we'll be debating uh, lots of potential mm. links. We'll, we've got a few questions already today, which we'll go through in the second half of the show. But he was asked about the transfer budget. How does this change things with Newcastle? Well, his answer was fairly, you know, on the money all the way through. Financial fair play will play its part. We know that. It's something we, we, we all understand. Newcastle have got to get more commercial revenue through the door. Um, but he, the interesting thing for me was he was asked by Lee Ryder from the Evening Chronicle, would um, you know, would any of the players that are on your current list be considered a marquee signing by the supporters? And he said, he paused and, and he looked and he said, yeah, he says, uh, there's a couple fall into that category, but that's not necessarily meaning that I'm going out to sign marquee signings. So he's very careful, very well thought out with these press conferences. But how does Champions League qualification change the way that Newcastle tackle the transfer window? Are they more, are they more attractive, Ben, to, to, to certain players? Well, they're more attractive because they've got Champions League football for sure. And by more attractive, I don't just mean having European football. I mean the likelihood that they'll be paying some players either higher wages or what is considered to be a ballpark of Champions League or European wages. And you can't do that if you're not in the Champions League. And people will also see the fan base and the dressing room mentality throughout the season and think, wow. I want to be a part of that. So I think they will be very attractive and attractive in two ways in a perverse sense. One is more attractive to a player that was considering a move between, let's say, Newcastle, West Ham, Villa, Leicester, Everton. And I know some of these teams obviously haven't had great seasons, but that type of club, big stadiums, in decent cities, in London in the case of West Ham, even maybe Spurs into that category. And that's where you start saying, brilliant, we weren't in the top six and now we're beating top half of the Premier League teams to signings. And Newcastle have kind of leapfrogged a number of teams that historically in the last three, four, five seasons have been in the top half of the table or have been in Europe, which is why I mentioned Leicester and West Ham. And West Ham, let's not forget, might be in Europe again if they win the UEFA Europa Conference League against Fiorentina. So that's one, that kind of leapfrogging element where you're not competing for the real elite, the marquee, the crazy money type established player. You're looking just for a tremendous quality player at top level. And maybe the previous suitors were a Tottenham or a Liverpool. And James Madison is perhaps one example of that. And then you've got the secondary thing of, is there now a player that Newcastle just would never have been able to get because they were only looking at teams that might win the Champions League. They were only looking at teams that have always been in the Champions League. They were not even considering Newcastle because in their mind was just, 
I'll join a Bayern Munich, I'll join a PSG, I'll join a Manchester City, I'll join somebody that's always in the Champions League. And can Newcastle now force their way into that conversation? And I think with the former, there's a lot of players that come into the mix. And I think with the latter, it's less likely. And it's less likely because of Newcastle, not just because of the player. So I've said this many times and I preface it again. I don't mean it in a negative way. But when you jump to success this fast, the budget doesn't always catch up with you. And that is because financial fair play works in cycles. And it's also, as Brighton will find as well, by qualifying for Europe for the first ever time. And what an achievement that is, by the way. Because you don't want to change your model significantly. Because if you do and you don't have it the next season and the next season and the next season, then you're saddled with high wages. You're saddled with players that potentially don't want to be there or have exit clauses that allow them to leave. You're saddled having spent bigger transfer fees and then you can't recoup from them. So I expect Newcastle to be very sensible. And I think Newcastle will be very attractive to a whole host more players. But I don't think Newcastle will be attracted to all of those players for the reasons that I've outlined. And I know that sounds very negative, like I'm pouring cold water on the achievement of Champions League football, but I'm not. I'm saying that concurrent with Newcastle succeeding faster than they wanted to, they'll also want to be sensible, as they have been in the last few transfer windows, to ensure that they don't spend, 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 then don't get Champions League, and suddenly they have problems with financial fair play. They have problems with players that only came for Champions League football. They have problems with their wage bill. Because you can bet your bottom dollar if they bring in, I'm just going to use a name, Neymar. Not that I want to link Neymar with Newcastle, but if you bring in a player yeah. like Neymar, then when Bruno negotiates his new contract, there's a yardstick there. And I'm not saying that Bruno should get what Neymar gets, but there's still a yardstick there. And again, if you increase Bruno, then the next player internally within the current squad that lines up for a contract renewal is going to be saying, well, I was integral too. And then in a year or two, Sven Botman's going to say, I want a new deal. And Kieran Trippier is going to say, wait a minute, I've already signed something, but everyone else since I've signed something has gone up and up and up. So these are all considerations. They're welcome headaches, of course. But I think Newcastle's priority heading into the window is going to be, first of all, to reward what they've got and make sure they don't lose any key players. Second of all, to look for depth to ensure that they can handle the Champions League. And third of all, to just find that two or three positions that add genuine extra quality that allows them to consolidate. And I think that left-back is clearly one of them, in my opinion. I think creative-minded midfielder is another. And I think even with Alexander Izak, because Wilson is obviously getting older and older, and because Almiron hasn't quite scored as many as he did in the first half of the season, I think they could be in the market potentially for a forward still. And then if they go for a creative-minded midfielder, is there room still, and there probably is, for more of a defensive-minded or versatile-minded central midfielder? So Declan Rice is a big ask because Arsenal are front runners, but the advantage of a Rice-style player or the advantage of a Bellingham-style player, and again, I don't use Bellingham because it's happening because he's off to Real Madrid, but I use him as an example because 
you look at Rice, he can go defensive midfield, he can go central midfield, and he can play in uh, four across the midfield or a three across the midfield, or he can play in a deep-lying two, or he can be a singular deep-lying one with two midfielders ahead of him. You look at Bellingham and he can drop into a two with Rice, as we've seen for England, or he can let two other people play in that role and he can be the one or the two in front of that pivot. And I think that's what Howe would look for if he wants a more defensive-minded midfielder, also a versatile midfielder that can play in more than one position in the centre of the park. So for me, those are the sort of four main positions, but we have to wait and see what the outgoings are as well, because if people like ASM go, then there'll be an immediate desire to replace them. If the feeling is that Wilson is not going to be the starting central striker and Isaac is going to play wider in a front three, then there's room to bring in a flagship central forward but if Isaac moves into that central role and Wilson plays a bit more second fiddle then it's your wide forwards or your wingers or your creative minded midfielders that become a bit more important so there's a few considerations for Eddie Howe I suspect he'll stick with the state formation. I suspect that he'll be looking at those positions that I've outlined and then on top of that it's just depth you want players with Champions League experience you want players that are up for the fight but maybe prepared to be part of the squad not necessarily automatically within the starting 11. And again, the bottom line in all of this is for Newcastle to stick to their model, not do anything careless or reckless that might put them in trouble in future years and bring in the right people. You know, the last thing they want to do is celebrate Champions League football with egos, with bad eggs, with people that change that dynamic in the dressing room because that goes against what the club are building. Okay, uh, we're going to uh, go over the ad break now. We've got lots to talk about in the uh, the second half of the show. Uh, we will be back after this. A big thanks to all our sponsors. Skips and Bins, telephone 0800 25 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pay-as-you-go waste collection. A big thanks to Mr Vicky Sources, which are handmade in Cumbria. You can find them at their website, mrvickies.co.uk. If you want to place an order, call 01768 210 102 or email info at uk. A big thanks to Media Arts for all the help with the video side of things and qtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls and Newcastle and the guys who run our website, nufcmatters.com. If you like the channel, please hit the like underneath the video. It helps us grow. And click share and share it to your other social media. If you want to help us financially, please click join. And there's a range of different packages and it explains how you can do that. If you want to become a cult member and receive these goodies, a scarf, a pen and a cup and a membership card and entry into the monthly draw. For a one-off fee of £25, simply go to nufcmatters.com and find cult membership. If you've got a smartphone, put it over this QR code now. It'll take you straight there. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes, Spotify and other podcast providers. And we also support the food bank on this channel. The Matchday Bucket helps you donate virtually. Go to nufcfansfoodbank.co.uk to find out more. We've got some events coming up over the course of the next 12 months. An evening with John Anderson takes place at the Time Mouse Surf Cafe. Only limited tickets available. 13th of June. Go to their website to buy tickets. Bend It Like Bobby 
Cometh the hour, cometh the man. And just after the hour, the man did cometh at the double, as it was time to bend it like Bobby. It's a comedy play. It's a rehearsed reading by Jim O. It features myself and a few other cast members. Friday the 16th of June. Tickets on sale at newcastlelegends.com and they're only £5. An evening with Frank Clark. Well, this is our Christmas due. Uh, Thursday, December the 7th. Tickets are £15 from nufcmatters.com at the Tyneside Irish Centre. And a big one for the new year. January the 25th. Keegan Waddle and Beardsley and special guests back together. The class of 1984 at the Tyne Theatre and Opera House on Westgate Road. Uh, tickets available direct from the venue. If you like t-shirts and you want a few for the summer, get yourself to nufcmatters.com. The Isaac t-shirt is proven very popular. Okay, we've got a few questions uh, on Twitter, which we uh, we, we always advertise, uh, Ben, when we do a pre-record. And um, lots of people wanting to know uh, about James Madison. You've been asked this. Probably for about nine months now on this on this platform by me, um, you've always gone with the same you know the same answer. I mean, I, I've got to be honest, I haven't been massively impressed with Madison's performances, and he was on the bench um, at Newcastle um, to, to to start with. Came on, um, you know, talk about Trippier and him having a chat, etc. You know, at the end of the day, Newcastle, if they you know want to buy him, will will have to pay the price. That's always been the case, but. I guess we're going to know more when we know which division Leicester's playing in. Yeah, I do think Madison will leave regardless, but the price can be impacted by relegation. Newcastle having Champions League is, I suppose, a slight bit of progress, not just for Madison, but any player, because suddenly now they can offer players that either only want Champions League or would like to play in the Champions League, something that other clubs can't. And that might give Newcastle an advantage, for example, over Tottenham. But Tottenham have got a higher wage bill. They're a London club. They will either still have some form of European football. We'll have to wait and see what the final day brings. It won't be a particularly attractive kind of European football to some players. But remember that Madison has had Europa Conference League and Europa League football before with Leicester. So he may well relish the opportunity to play any kind of European football. But I do think Champions League in the long term would be his preference. So Tottenham and Newcastle are going to be there and no doubt there'll be other clubs that enter into the mix, especially when it becomes apparent what the price might be. And it's one of those where it feels like nothing has moved or it maybe feels like Madison's name's being more and more in the media now. And that's just normal because the window is about to open. And the reason why I sound more like a broken record is because I was just first to report the Newcastle interest and the Spurs interest. So suddenly it blows up now heading towards the summer saying these clubs could move. But it's been months during which they've been looking at Madison and realising that there might be a deal to be had. And the only real difference was that last summer when Newcastle tried, Leicester were in a stronger position. Leicester were looking to finish in the top half of the season. And as they have done historically for the last few seasons, be there or thereabouts in the European picture. And they weren't ruling out offering Madison a new deal. Now I think the situation is different. And I genuinely believe that Madison will go, whether Leicester go down or stay up. So this is where there may be a window of opportunity. And then, of course, the price will be quite telling because another year's passed. So that would traditionally knock some money off the contract. And then if Leicester go down, 
you have to come back to maybe what Newcastle were thinking about to begin with, which was 40 to 45 million, and say, are they even going to go lower than that or the same as that? And would Leicester be forced to cash in? Whereas a year ago, when Newcastle were thinking 40, 45, Leicester were thinking 60 to 65, and Newcastle were not prepared to go that high. So I think that there's a real bargain for Madison, and I think that Newcastle will be there. And I think that as the situation with Leicester becomes clearer, we'll also be able to establish whether there's any other Premier League suitors that come in. It's exactly the same for Romeo Lavia at Southampton as well. Now you know the player won't want to play in the championship. There's a lot of clubs that suddenly say, now's the time to move. And an underrated part of the market is always the timing. It's not just about the player and their desire and the number. It's also about predicting how the market is going to move. And timing is absolutely key. And it might be timing because a team goes down. It might be timing because you need to get it done early before somebody comes in that creates a bidding war that ups the price. It might be timing because you're aware that the club is about to get in a replacement. And this is why you do your due diligence on a wider array of players. And this is why you keep a very close eye on your rivals to try and preempt how the market is going to move because that gives you your best possible chance of getting a deal done. But I think that there is a deal to be had at a decent number. And I think you're right in what you say that Madison, a bit like Almiron, I suppose, hasn't had as good a second half to the season as he did in the first half. But I would add a caveat to that, which is just that just before the World Cup, when Madison was brilliant and arguably the best player in his position from an England point of view, even though he didn't get any game time, Leicester beat West Ham and he got injured. And then during the World Cup, he kind of got back to fitness to the point where he could train, but then picked up another injury and on the same knee. And then since then, he's never quite got back to full form. And it's actually Harvey Barnes that's had the better second half to the season, which is why he's in the shop window as well. And that's another player, of course, that Newcastle have looked at in the past too. So I think when Madison is fit and when Madison is surrounded by confident players and quality, I think he will really shine. Whereas at the moment, all season, he's had to carry Leicester. And I think it's been quite frustrating because when you're playing as well as he was in the first half of the season, but you're seeing the side fall into the bottom three, it's quite demoralizing and there's pressure on Madison's shoulders. So I don't think we should judge Madison and I think that the beauty of a team like Newcastle side Madison is you get a fantastic dressing room fit. Anyone that's watched his post-match interviews will see that he's eloquent, he's intelligent, he's team-orientated, he's more humble, I think, than when he first joined Leicester. There's still that swagger on the field, but he's learned how to find that level-headedness and that selflessness that maybe was lacking a bit more on the football side when he first joined Leicester. And most importantly, there's still room for improvement as well. So I think he'd be a fantastic signing for any club. And if Leicester go down, there's definitely a bargain deal there to be had. So Madison to Newcastle, uh, to Spurs. And like I say, there will be other suitors that come in a little bit later. But Madison to Newcastle is still one to watch. OK, uh, another one um, from uh, Sam Handwi uh, is Dominic Sabosley, uh, somebody who we've been linked with uh, quite a bit 
uh, in recent weeks. Looks really promising, he says, and fits the mould. Any word on this? This is Subasly, right? Yeah, but pronunciation is not my strongest point with some of these foreign players, so you'll have to bear with us over the summer. Sure, the Newcastle fans will come up with an. I'm just going to call him Dom. <laughs> yeah, Dom is good. Dom S. We'll call him for now. This is obviously a player that I think a lot of people have seen um, in the news for a while. Um, been linked with Chelsea as well um, and others for quite some time. And I think that if you look at it on paper, then as the question suggests, a really good fit for Newcastle, only 22 years of age, uh, plays as a midfielder at the moment for Leipzig, for those that are unaware of him, a very intelligent, very positive passer, a good ball winner and good uh, positional sense. Um, and perhaps most importantly, um, has got a ton of, of uh, goal contributions. So what, what you get is, is a very kind of traditional box-to-box uh, -box player who uh, has been really key this season for uh, Leipzig. I think he scored nine times. So then if my maths is correct, that will be 13 assists across all competitions on top of that, which is exactly the kind of thing that Newcastle need to alleviate pressure on the uh, forward line. And um, what is true about these links is that Newcastle have been scouting the player over uh, recent weeks. Um, Chelsea have done the same in the past, although they're not really in the mix at the moment for the player. They've got other midfield uh, targets as things stand. Uh, and Liverpool have taken a look in the past as well from the Premier League uh, too. And um, where he would play at Newcastle is pretty much where he would play for um, where he has been playing for Leipzig, which is as a kind of attacking midfielder uh, and that, that bridge between attack. Uh, but there is that ability for him to be a bit more traditional and central if needed uh, too, uh, and also win the ball back. And then when he does, he's very positive. He's very quick in his distribution in order to get rid of the ball and move and then get rid of the ball and make another run off the ball and really uh, be a link-up player, uh, which is exactly what I think Newcastle are looking for. So there's a lot to get excited about in terms of the fit. Um, all I would say is that before anything progresses, um, Newcastle would have to understand fee. Um, and um, there's a sort of ballpark uh, range uh, of what people think Leipzig would sell for from perhaps at the lower end, 45 million, to at the higher end, 65 million and uh, obviously one of those is value, but the higher amount provides a little bit more of a problem. Uh, I, 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 I feel like um, it will probably be a 60 million package, uh, but obviously that would include the bonuses as well. So then maybe 40, 45 million uh, up front, uh, which is still quite a lot of money for a 22-year-old. So we're going to have to wait and see whether Newcastle uh, feel that that is value uh, because it would probably end up being one of their larger outlays of the uh, window. Um, but there's a deal there to be had, and there is a uh, real chance that he moves over the course of the summer window. Uh, but keep an eye out on Liverpool as well, because they're definitely one of the other clubs looking. OK, um, you know, from, from our perspective, it's just going to be an exciting summer. I think that's what that's one thing we can we can say. Tom Dixon would like to know um, any movement on Diaby lately uh, for Newcastle. Again, somebody who's been on the radar for a long time. And I guess as well, you know, 
the Botman deal is probably one we look at, you know, where, you know, we Newcastle were in it for the long haul. Um, but Diaby seems to be constantly on the radar. Constantly on the radar, but there's never really been a deal to be had in the past. And part of that is because of price. And obviously, uh, Diaby also ended up uh, staying at Leverkusen. Um, there was a possibility, I think, in the earlier part of the summer window um, for Newcastle to have moved, um, but they didn't because the price was always ultimately uh, more than they were prepared to pay. And I think that was at a point when clubs didn't really know what they were dealing with with Newcastle and were um, perhaps uh, inflating what they were asking for and hoping that this uh, supposed uh, reckless Saudi transfer kitty uh, would just be opened. And a year on, people realised Newcastle uh, have been far more sensible, far more stringent, far more uh, robust in how they negotiate. Um, and nothing happened with DRB because it was going to have to be um, more money than Newcastle were prepared to pay. Uh, but again, more money was not necessarily this 60, 70, 80 million uh, type package. It was, again, very similar uh, to Soboslai uh, of sort of 40, 45 plus add-ons on top. And Newcastle just didn't think that that was prepared to, uh, they, they were not prepared to uh, pay that kind of money. Uh, as things stand, uh, even though Newcastle have looked at the player and admired the player, there's nothing advanced at this point between DRB and Newcastle, uh, to my knowledge. Uh, there's still two years remaining on the um, contract. Uh, he's been excellent for Xabi Alonso, uh, which is why, naturally, people are again making uh, the link. Um, but I think that Newcastle have never really pushed on this. They, they moved away from him as a target during that period where they were looking at Madison. They bid for Madison. They failed for Madison. They were looking at Jack Harrison. They were looking at Diaby. He was there on their shortlist then, but that's kind of a year ago. Um, but um, I don't think there's anything really more than that other than interest at this point. So perhaps they're monitoring the player, but they're not moving in a concrete sense. They've not advanced anything over the course of the last months, to my knowledge. Um, Manchester United are also potentially looking at the player as one of many targets as well. Um, but, you know, again, it's all about the number. And at this point, because we're early in the window and it's not opened, uh, Leverkusen are what they, did do, what they did last summer. They're doing the same thing again this summer. They're, they're warding off suitors by, again, throwing that sky-high number, pretty similar to last summer, uh, and saying, listen, if you want the player, the total package is going to have to be potentially 70 million, even 75 million euros. And then if you're interested and you're prepared to entertain that number, then we'll discuss the structure of how much of that is up front uh, comparative to in bonuses. And that's just not the kind of deal that Newcastle are interested in, especially not for a player whose contract now expires in 2025. So if DRB became available at value, it's a different story. But at this stage, uh, I'm not aware of anything uh, advanced between Newcastle and DRB, even though uh, Newcastle's long-standing interest or admiration in the player is no secret. Okay, Kieran Tierney is one I'd like to discuss. Uh, Newcastle, um, according to the Evening Chronicle today, have been, uh, you know, we, we know they've been heavily linked, but set for invite 
uh, to Kieran Tierney bidding process is uh, the, the headline that the Chronicle have gone for. Um, I know at early doors, a lot of Newcastle fans were a little bit doubtful as to whether he would improve you know, Newcastle's team, but I certainly think he would. Um, I quite like the player, actually. Um, and he's got Premier League experience, which ticks the main box that Eddie Howe wants. I, I, I listened to him again in his press conference yesterday mm-hmm. and he, he, he was asked by one of the journalists, you know, are, are you specifically looking for people who have Champions League and Premier League experience? And he went, no, he says, um, I'm, I'm not a believer that you have to have played in a competition to be, you know, to be able to compete in that competition. But Premier League experience is definitely a must for Eddie Howe. He wants people who can come straight in pre-season, hit the ground running, and uh, you know, start as they mean to go on in the Premier League. So, Tierney, is that is that one more than likely? Do you think, from Newcastle's perspective, as long as they meet the asking price? Well, I wouldn't say more than likely at this point because they've not formally began talks. But I would say that he's relatively high up on the list of priorities, both in terms of name and also position. And you may remember again months back. I broke the news that Newcastle were interested in Tierney. So again, a lot of what we're reading now is a circling back upon what has previously been reported. And we're now at the point where the lay of the land has been clear and the target has been clear, but are they going to move? And it will depend upon two things. One, Tierney himself, the most important factor in all of this, because Mikel Arteta would love to keep Kieran Tierney and have him as a squad player and use him as part of the depth needed for Arsenal to consolidate their position and play in the Champions League. But unlike last season, this season, Tierney's been ousted, Zinchenko's come in. So a lot depends on the player. And is there an appetite there to um, be part of Arsenal's squad and fight for his place? Uh, Or does he want to go and be a starting left-back somewhere? And you may note that Manchester City, for example, are interested in Tierney as well. And with Jawa Cancelo unlikely to stay at Manchester City in the long term, even though his loan at Bayern is up, um, that would be the same kind of scenario too. Uh, Would Man City be signing him to play every week? Um, Or is he happier at Manchester City because Pep tends to rotate? Or is it better to stay at Arsenal because Manchester City is basically still the same thing? Uh, Perhaps the only difference is that... um, he would be more likely to win silverware at Manchester City. But Newcastle is a little bit different because their pitch, I think, is going to be, we need a starting left-back, you are our starting left-back. Come and join us, come and play Champions League, come and be the starting left-back in the Champions League. It's a very clear pitch. And I think that how Newcastle pitched that and whether Tierney has that desire to stay and settle and fight at Arsenal because Arteta would ideally still like to keep him or move because he needs that game time is going to be key to all of this. And then the second thing is just fee. And um, even though we're hearing this sort of ballpark of 25 to 30 million, it still wouldn't surprise me as I reported uh, about now four months ago, um, it still wouldn't surprise me if, Arsenal try and get even a little bit more than that number. So it's about understanding the fee and it's also about understanding whether the player just wants to jump ship um, because he wants to play every week, in which case Newcastle would be 
a uh, very good destination that ticks a lot of boxes uh, or whether actually he can be persuaded to stay at Arsenal. But this one stands a very realistic possibility of progressing over the coming weeks because I think left-back is an area uh, where Newcastle still do want to uh, add uh, that extra bit of quality. And I agree with you. Um, if he signs, uh, I think he is a strong addition. I think he is an automatic starter at left-back. And I think that if... Um, Newcastle can pull that off uh, around the numbers that are being spoken about, then uh, it's a sensible signing and it's quite a low risk signing because you get all that experience. Um, last season, he was excellent in my opinion. And for the kind of numbers that are being spoken about, um, it's not a huge outlay either. So uh, that would be a very sensible bit of business. Okay. Let's just look at the outgoings as well, which will feature on the, uh, the transfer show throughout the summer. Um, confirmation yesterday that Jeff Hendrick and Isaac Hayden will, uh, you know, despite being on successful loan periods, will not be given the opportunity to, you know, put, you know, to, to re restart their Newcastle careers. They are, you know, they're surplus to requirements and he needs to get them off the wage bill. Martin Dubravka is an interesting one though, Ben, because, you know, Martin Dubravka, of course, lost a little bit of, um, you know, I don't know. Lost a little bit of his his class, I think, for for a lot of Newcastle fans by jumping ship, going to Manchester United, mm-hmm. and then what he said about the football club that was you know was bigger and better than Newcastle, and and you know whether he was taken out of context, whether he's misquoted, but it, it certainly meant that a lot of Newcastle fans feel you know maybe it's a time for the Bravka to leave. But Eddie Howe issued more or less a don't go message to him, and in the sense that we need a big tough squad big long, a big squad for next season and he would be part of his plans and he would get he would get quite a few games so i mean debravka do you think he'll stay again it's about player appetite isn't it and this is where goalkeepers such a strange position some keepers mm. are prepared to be part of a big squad and play when they play um have the opportunity to go through that champions league experience without being the number 1 and as we're going to see against Chelsea when he's between the sticks, opportunities can come through injury. But Dubravka won't be Newcastle's number one, barring an entirely unexpected decline in form from Nick Pope. So if he stays, he has to be comfortable with being the number two goalkeeper as opposed to going to another club and being the number one. And I think if it was me, I couldn't be in a situation where I knew that I was second choice. And I think that's where it's unfortunate for goalkeepers because that is how we term them. And if you have a second-choice striker, second-choice midfielder, second-choice centre-back, well, there's room for two strikers, two midfielders, two centre-backs in uh, every single formation almost, uh, certainly in the defence and in the midfield anyway. So you always feel like you can play. And also, you always feel like you can score or keep a clean sheet or get an assist and force your way into the side. It's not the same with a goalkeeper. You might spend the whole season on the bench. And I think that it will all depend on whether Dubravka wants to stick around on decent enough money and be part of the Champions League uh, from, again, in likelihood, the bench or move. And I think that there will be offers for Dubravka to be a number one goalkeeper. I still think if Leicester stay up, uh, they might come in again uh, because Iverson and obviously Danny Ward um, haven't really been able to uh, do too much to instill confidence that they are number one Premier League goalkeepers. Uh, maybe Iverson has been a little bit better uh, than Ward in the back half of the season, but there's still room to sign another goalkeeper there um, and a number one goalkeeper. Um, and then with how uh, the, the don't-go plea 
if you like. I wouldn't read too much into it because categorically, Eddie Howe and Newcastle are not going to be standing in Dubravka's way if the right offer comes in. And his agent is working upon options as a result of that. And even when Dubravka went to Manchester United on loan, what did Eddie Howe said? He said he didn't want Dubravka to go. And then when Dubravka returned from Manchester United, he said he didn't want Dubravka to uh, go again. And he's glad that he's back. And now he says he doesn't want Dubravka to go. But Newcastle didn't stand in Dubravka's way when he went on loan to Manchester United. Uh, they won't stand in his way again if the right offer comes in and he wants to leave. So uh, the player's lucky in that sense, because if he wants to go, the club will allow that to happen. If he doesn't want to go, the, the club are not going to force him out the door. They value him as a number two that can put pressure on Nick Pope. So it's win-win in that respect, which means it's very simple. Does he want to be a week-in, week-out starting goalkeeper? If the answer is yes, he'll leave this summer. Uh, or is he happy at Newcastle fighting for his place and knowing deep down he's going to be a number two? And if it's the latter, uh, then he'll stay because he's very welcome at Newcastle. OK, let's talk sponsorship. And um, Craig Hope went big this week uh, uh, with talk uh, of a, a Saudi events company called Sela, uh potentially becoming the main shirt sponsor at Newcastle United. Uh, his sources said that they were a front runner, uh, but there were still others in the frame announcement due in the next few weeks. It's a big story. Um, I think it was Mark Kleinman on Sky who mm. broke the original story, but Craig went big with it. Um, what's your thoughts on on that? Um, is this is there a bit more going on? Because this since Champions League qualification, had Newcastle been in the Europa, yeah, they would have still got a big sponsor, bigger than anything that Ashley brought to the table. Um, but do you think the again the goalposts have moved for Newcastle in a positive way, in the sense that they, you know, it could go to the highest bidder now and it could be a lot bigger money because of Champions League? I think it just depends on the terms. If you're sensible as a shirt sponsor, you might try and have some kind of variable terms in the deal. So I, I doubt this is a case of Newcastle get Champions League and suddenly a bidding war ensues or uh, suddenly the numbers go up dramatically. I think that either it will be a fixed rate deal and then it will be higher than Newcastle uh, wanted, but lower than a sort of regular top four club season in, season out. Uh, and then obviously over the length of the contract, if Newcastle grow into that uh, title, then the sponsor feels like they've actually got a deal at below market rate, even though uh, you pay a bit more to begin with. Um and then vice versa, from Newcastle's point of view, they'll always be looking to leverage the fact that they had European football and were heading towards Champions League football. Um, but who knows uh, what the final terms will be? Because what you could do is you could say Champions League football has X amount more matches um, and exposure. And then maybe there's a clause that drops the price if they then are out of the Champions League. Um, usually these shirt sponsorship deals are fixed. Um, but again, when they're fixed, uh, both parties are trying to play off the fact that uh, they want value. So the sponsor's trying to say, you know, we're not paying you. Uh, you're in the Champions League price for five years now just because you've been in one season. Um, and Newcastle are obviously trying to say, well, think where we might be in two years, three years, four years, five years. And eventually they come to a compromise. And it looks like that compromise is somewhere in the ballpark of 25 to 30 million, which is a massive number. Um, 
for Newcastle, uh, highly significant to the uh, income. And we'll wait and see as well uh, how long the deal is too. And um, I think the reason why Craig went big on it, um, great journalist, by the way, um, so um, no sort of surprise that he's all over this. And I think the reason why he went big on it is because um, prior to the exclusive of the specific name, uh, both him and some of the other journalists that are across the Northeast, I, I think we're across this um, feeling from sources. And I'd certainly heard one or two whispers as well uh, from Saudi Arabia um, that something was brewing and that it was likely to be a MENA-wide company. So regardless of the fact that the headquarters is in uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, this isn't only a Saudi-specific company, this is a MENA-wide company. And that was the thing that was doing the rounds, that somewhere around the 25 million mark, uh, there was a company or a series of companies um, that were negotiating and were prepared to pay uh, in excess of 20 million and somewhere around the 25 million mark. Uh, so we should point out that uh, there's more than one company. And what you what you sometimes find is that um, th there's companies waiting to see whether Newcastle qualified for Champions League and then are they prepared to up their offer or will someone else creep out from the woodwork? So there can always be a twist, but there's also a sort of hard deadline um, with this kind of thing from Newcastle's point of view because they want to be able to launch the shirt. They want to be able to benefit uh, from pre-season sales and um, a sponsor will obviously want things wrapped up. So when that shirt is launched, they can be a part of it as well, which is why these things do have to wrap up now quite uh, quickly. So uh, it's a great deal for Newcastle. Um, I know a lot will be made about uh, the new Premier League uh, rules on related party transactions. Um, but it is important to stress that this type of thing uh, can't be sort of uh, blocked per se. Um, it, it, it can only be kind of renegotiated. So somebody can't say to Newcastle, sorry, this is turned down. They can just say, we believe that it's in breach of fair market value relating to a third party transaction. Uh, and then there would be a sort of review process and potentially a renegotiation. But when you look at the numbers, they don't look particularly concerning to me. Um, it's not 45, 50 million. Um, it's 25 to 30 million. Uh, we don't know the exact terms. Newcastle are a club in the Champions League. Um, it, it doesn't look like there'll be a massive issue. But obviously, there needs to be scrutiny uh, with any club, by the way, not just with Newcastle. And one of the reasons why there needs to be scrutiny is not just because of the links between PIF and uh, Seller, uh, but also because there's not that much out there about Seller. Um, and um, as importantly, uh, Abdul Majid uh, Al Hagbani, the Newcastle board member, um, is also listed as the vice chair of Seller Sport. So you've got a potential um, conflict there as well to um, look through when this deal, uh, if this deal is completed, um, goes from, um, you know, being a Newcastle done deal to a Premier League uh, approved deal as well. So I think scrutiny is normal. I think everything Newcastle do, whether rightly or wrongly, is going to be played out through the media limelight as well. Uh, but the people that I speak to at the club uh, don't seem particularly concerned by it. 
for two reasons, really. Uh, one, because they believe it is uh, done at fair market value, that type of number. Uh, and two, because there are other options as well. So obviously nobody's saying that Newcastle have got all of their eggs in one basket. Um, and, you know, if we look at what fair market value is, and we look at the fact that Newcastle have got more than one option, if all of those options are in the same ballpark, um, then if they pick and complete a deal with seller, but they can show that they've got two or three other options that were all in the same ballpark, then that in itself is an indication that the fair market of value of Newcastle United, a squad that has just qualified for the Champions League, is around the money that they're about to get from this one particular business. Um, so in a perverse way, it might be helpful to have those other offers on the table because if they're concrete and credible and formal offers and they're all around the same ballpark, um, some of those other offers are, are, are not PIF-related companies, then does not that tell you that there's other people prepared to pay exactly the same amount or something similar? So Newcastle seem quite relaxed, like they're not going to get drawn into some big uh, drama where they're told that they're sort of um, inflating the deal on the table. Um, but as ever, I reserve judgment and we'll wait and see uh, the facts. Uh, if this deal progresses, which is uh, expected, uh, then we'll look a bit more into the company and the number uh, when it's confirmed, and then we'll be in a better position to judge. But I think that Newcastle are um, unconcerned by any suggestions that they'll have uh, problems with this deal getting over the line, should it get over the line at this stage in time. I'm looking forward to the summer, Ben. We're going to have some great chats, I'm sure. Um, mm. I just want to wish you all the very best uh, today, as it is, uh, with Leicester. I'd love to see Leicester stay up. Uh, I'd like to see Big Sam and uh, Pickford go down. Um, <laughs> so those those are my two favourites. Football, as Jimmy Greaves said, is a funny old game. Uh, you might just get the result you're looking for today. So good luck to Leicester, mate. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. This is my prediction, just briefly. Uh, Leeds are gone. It's as simple as that, because... They have an inferior goal difference. So, Pat Everton, for example, they would first and foremost have to um, hope that um, Everton uh, lose and they win, and then they will move above them, and then they're also reliant on Leicester not winning. Uh, but if Everton draw and Leicester lose, then even a Leeds win uh, will still require them to get a swing in the goal difference um, which means that they're going to have to beat Spurs, I think, 3-0. And then I think they would move off the top of my head above Everton because uh, the goal difference would be equal. But assuming Everton draw, they'll have scored more goals. So already it's giving everyone a headache and we need a calculator. But Leeds basically need a lot of things to go their way in order to stay up. And uh, I just don't see that happening. Um, so for me, they're gone. Even if they beat Spurs, I think they're gone because I think one of Leicester and Everton will win their game. Uh, and as I say, even if Leeds win and Everton draw, goal difference still becomes a factor. I think Leicester will beat West Ham because I think West Ham have got one eye on their European final against Fiorentina. Uh, I think there's a 10-day gap, but I still think that David Moyes might rest a few players. So then it's all going to come down to me, to Everton and, um, you know, can Bournemouth pull something off? And um, I'm not so sure, to be honest. So my hope, I can't be predicting Leicester will go down, even if that's secretly what I fear. Uh, my hope is Everton draw, Leicester win, 
and stay up on goal difference um, and Leeds beat Spurs, um, but don't stay up because obviously Leicester win and Everton draw. So uh, that's my hope. Everton leads Southampton, obviously already down, the ones that go down, but that's just what my my heart says. My head says Everton will just beat Bournemouth and, and unfortunately Leicester and Leeds will go down. Um, but uh, we keep our fingers crossed. Good luck, mate. Don't uh, don't bite your fingers to the uh, to the bone, mate. Uh, I'm sure you'll be fine. But uh, look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care. Have a good week. All the best. Uh, okay, great to have Ben on the show. Um, I'm going to play out uh, with uh, a couple of videos. Uh, first up, it is uh, Scunny Mag with his final review of the season. I, no, no, I won't be home for tea. No, no, we're, we're going to Italy. All right, see you later. Love you. Bye. Chelsea away. It's coming up. Travelling in. If you are driving, there's park and rides around the M25 area. Your best bet is to use those and tube in. If you're coming by train, you'll uh, you want to be heading to Fulham Broadway. But the Putney Bridge area is also really handy for boat transfers from the city centre. Dropping up Putney Bridge, that's usually the best place to stay for drinks once you get off the boats. There's quite a lot of options around Putney Bridge. The pub nearest the Putney Bridge tube station is the Eight Bells. That's on Fulham High Street with the what three words of nobody scam scuba. And then on the corner of the main road, there's um, one that's always really popular the king's arms and that's on the new king's road and your what three words is half locked always every time i've been achieving for fulham or chelsea so if you don't like a crowd go to one of the others nearby just across the road from there you've actually got the temperance with the what three words of damp remedy then and you should be able to see that just over the road if the king's arms is queuing to get in just head over there and failing that if you go south from there over the bridge just over the river five minute walk you'll find a weatherspoons called the rocket that's in putney wharf tower and your what three words is weedy castle punchy heading up to the ground from the putney bridge area it's about a mile and a half it's going to take you a good 35 45 minutes Fulham Broadway is just two stops on the district line heading north from Putney Bridge it takes about nine or ten minutes but make sure you give yourself plenty of time because there's going to be a lot of congestion both getting on and getting into the ground at the other end I would give yourself half an hour to get in once you get there the coach drop-off is a few streets away on the south side of the stadium uh, it's handy for the away end obviously uh, it'll open Two hours before kickoff on a weekend, 90 minutes on a midweek game, and get your lubrication and voice warmed up there. When you do get to the stadium, there is a, a holding area and checks to go through. Um, if you're in the lowest tiers, you want to be in the left-hand lane. If you're in the upper, on the right-hand lane, you'll be heading for turnstiles one to five in the upper, six to eight in the lower. Your what three words for the turnstiles area is ruins reveal large. And after the game, it gets really, really congested. It, either Earl's Court or Fulham Broadway tube station, if you're using those, allow plenty of time. If you're booking trains out, give yourself a couple of hours after the game because it might take you an hour to get into the tube station. That's your lot from me for this season. It's been a pleasure. And we can all look forward now to our European tour. Last game of the season and last stats update for season 2022-2023. And what a season it has been. We're back in the Champions League after 20 years. We're back in the European competitions after 10 years. We're about to finish in top four. We registered the season with the smallest number 
of defeats in the whole history of Newcastle United. So far, we have lost only five times in the league. And so far, the record has been eight defeats in the top flight. And even if we lose, which we know that it will not happen at Stamford Bridge, it will only be six. So Eddie Howe has already made it down in the history books. When it comes to Stamford Bridge, the last time we did the double over Chelsea was back in season 86-87. Actually, in the Premier League, out of 27 games, we have lost 20, drawn six, and won only once. The good omen is that our only win there was again in May. Everybody remembers it, 2012, 2-0, two goals by Papi Sisse sending us into Europe for what was our last participation in European competitions at the time. Callum Wilson is two goals away of 20, which is his target for the season. Uh, we have several absentees, but all we know, we should be able to break the bad tradition at the Stamford Bridge. Chelsea on their own have not won at home since March against Leeds. Since then, they have three draws and three defeats. And overall, Frank Lampard, since he's been in charge in 10 games, he has one win, one draw and eight defeats. No better time to play this. Let's celebrate, guys, what has been a monumental season. Enjoy the game. Evening guys, tipster here, Europe ready. Uh, just going to check in with a quick rundown of this weekend's prices just in case anyone's interested in a bet. If you do fancy a couple of quid on our nothing game on Sunday, we are favourites to finish the season off with a win against the Chelsea side that, let's be honest, gave up in about September. There is value, though, in the draw, which is coming in at 5-2. to two. So I think I'll have a little sniff of that one. In the big games at the bottom, Everton are huge favourites to beat Bournemouth at home. Mind you, the bookies have also got Leicester favourites to beat West Ham. Unfortunately, though, for our mate Big Sam, he doesn't have a chance. The bookies have got leads down, out and beat. Everton are favourites to stay up. Looking to replace Leeds next season in the Premier League are Luton or Coventry who will face off in the big game at Wembley tomorrow. Luton a clear favourites to join the elite at 29 to 20. It's 11 to 5 for Coventry and 2 to 1 for the draw after 90 minutes. 9 to 1 if you think it'll go all the way to penalty kicks. As for next season, I just thought I'd let you know, get in early, 11-1 for Newcastle to win the league and just under evens to repeat the top four finish of this season. And interestingly on that one, that does include us being favourites above Chelsea and Tottenham Hotspur. Enough of that rubbish though for one year, Super 6 is where it's at and with one round to go, the title race is electric. Jack Railton stays top of the table on 4-8-7. Five points clear of Andy Embleton with Rowan Bauer on 4-8-1. 
Steve Wilkinson is the top matters predictor and he won't be caught by me or Pato. So it's good to know that there's someone on this channel, at least someone who knows exactly what they're talking about. It's also really tight for May's manager of the month with Ryan Martin leading the way with one point clear of the rest. So good luck everyone if you're playing Super 6. Don't forget there's 500 quid up there for the winner. Um, so fingers crossed for you all. Watch your money this weekend guys. Please gamble safely and I'll see you in Madrid. Mr. Steven Sayers, I'm arresting you on suspicion of armed robbery. You do not have to say anything, but anything you do say may be used in evidence against you. I should be moving on soon, so I want to ask you a favor. It. Don't make the same mistake that me and my brothers have done. And if you try, they'll throw away the key.